If money was your God, how would you know? In his letter to his co-conspirator, Timothy, Paul writes, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Many of us have heard this shortened and simplified into, money is the root of all evil. This is an inaccurate and unfair characterization of what Paul writes. Money is not inherently problematic. As Paul explains, a love of money, and especially a disproportionate love of money, is a root of many evils. The writers of the Revised Common Lectionary offer us this word from Paul alongside a story from Jesus. Jesus tells of a rich man, a very rich man, who wore purple, a color of royalty, and fine linens, and who feasted sumptuously. Each day, the rich man walked past a poor man, a very poor man, who was covered in sores and consumed by his hunger. These men are posed as complete opposites. The rich man is clothed in fine linens, and Lazarus is covered in sores. The rich man feasts, while Lazarus goes hungry. Both men, however, are sons of Abraham. They are men who shared a common lineage. Still, the rich man is unwilling to help Lazarus. He loves his money. His love of money has caused a great evil, the evil of leaving kin and neighbor without the resources to live. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Indeed, Jesus offers a story that may have helped Timothy rather, may have helped Paul to come to this understanding, which he presents to Timothy and that we hear today. It is only after death that the rich man learns the error of his ways. He desires that his brothers be warned and be persuaded away from a money-obsessed way of being. And Jesus presents us with this story so that we might learn from the man's misdoings and the evil caused by his love of money. I began by asking, if money was your God, how would you know? This is a striking question. It's one we asked in a seminary class on liturgy and the economy. We asked it quite often to distinguish between money in and of itself and the love of money as an orienting force for our lives. Money in the form of coins or paper notes is a convenient alternative to a barter system. Take, for example, a seller of grain who may be approached by someone who has olive oil to offer. The person with grain may not need the oil and thus may not share the grain with this other person. Hence, money. People can buy and sell goods and services more easily. In this way, money is neutral. It is a way of simplifying our economic lives and helping us to provide for one another. The love of money, on the other hand, is not a natural simplification of our economic lives. It is a perversion in the exchange of goods and labor. 
It is a posture of never-ending desire. The love of money places profits over people and can even place money in the position of our God. Our society, a society that loves money, will tell us that what we have is not enough. We meet one financial achievement, and the world tells us to set ever-growing standards. More. Make more money. Spend more money. Have more things. Social psychologists will tell us that there is a limit to the happiness and comfort that money can buy us. Beyond a level of sufficiency and comfort, we arrive in a place of more money, more problems. Before we know it, the endless pursuit of more overtakes us. Money easily becomes our orienting force, our God. Love of money is not the foundation of our Christian lives. It is not a foundation that connects us to the Almighty God. An endless succession of finite desires will never substitute for the infinite. I'll say that again. An endless succession of finite desires will never substitute for the infinite. In other words, the pursuit of more money and more things will never be a replacement for God, who is truly infinite. The desire to meet one financial milestone after another places us in a position of finite desire after finite desire. Reaching those goals may seem glorious for a moment, and then another finite desire takes over. The infinite never arrives. Thus, when the love of money controls us, it feels as though we never arrive. To be entirely clear, I'm not talking about the deep accomplishment of getting out from under your debt. I'm not talking about the joy of owning a first home. I'm not talking about seeking to provide for a multi-generational family. I'm not talking about getting beyond month to month. I'm talking about excess. I'm talking about the sort of wealth that prevents people from recognizing the Lazaruses of our world. The social and financial status that allows us to forget the struggles of our kin and our neighbors. I'm talking about the life of the rich man who wears fine clothes, feasts sumptuously, and ignores Lazarus at his gate. I'll ask a different question now. If the Almighty and Holy Trinity is our God, how would we know? Paul tells us about this way of living as well. Paul reminds Timothy, and each of us by proxy, as for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. If the God we speak about is truly our God, we will put our hopes in the God who provides, the God who offers us what we need for authentic enjoyment and flourishing. 
if the God we claim to follow is truly our God, we will be rich in good works. We will care for Lazarus and all those who, like him, exist in poverty, hunger, and with unmet health care needs. We will be generous and ready to share. We will acknowledge our positions of privilege and share the riches we have. Some of you may be in a financial position to hear this and think about zeros in your bank account. You may be able to think about places of excess in your life. Some of you may be thinking, this is not about me, because you do not live with financial excess. There are plenty of other ways to be rich, such as being rich with privilege. I live very comfortably, but would not call myself wealthy in terms of money. I'm rich in other kinds of privilege, though. I'm a white person with a lot of education, a strong social safety net, and with generational resources. I am called to use that privilege to use my place in society as a means of advocacy. Paul and Jesus both talk about material wealth in our readings today, but I do think it's important that we think about the ways that this call comes to each of us. This call will speak to each of us in different ways. I'll draw one last word from Timothy, or from Paul in his letter to Timothy. Take hold of the life that really is life. I might paraphrase Paul and say, take hold of the God that really is God. Take hold of the goodness and generosity that come from God, and that ensure us the same richness in good works generosity, and readiness to share. When we take hold of God, we have faith that God will provide. When we cling only to money, we create a false sense of security. When money is our God, we live in a space of anxiety, never-ending pursuit of more, and an inability to engage generously. The love of money can overpower our lives. Seeking more and more is exhausting and does not allow us to truly flourish. When the true God is our God, we live in sufficiency, or in Paul's words, we are content. We are enough, and what we have is enough, and we can follow Jesus' teachings on generosity and giving of self. Seeking God is life-giving. With God guiding us, we can take hold of the life that really is life, a life of care, connection, sufficiency, grace, and faith. We can care for our neighbors and kin, and likewise be cared for by them. We live in a community of faith, seeking God in all that we do. If God truly is our God, we will know because we live lives in the truth that we have enough, we are enough, and that God's generous grace abounds. My friends, we have enough. Each of us is enough, and God's generous grace abounds. Amen.